3: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
4: Ron and Anian, I've got a story for you today that'll just, you'll just scratch your head and go, huh?
5: Things that
6: make you go, hmm the car doctor hold the driver's side door electric window switch in the up position and slam the door three times and it works every time
4: um i haven't heard that one that's probably right up there with rub your belly button three times counterclockwise while you're driving over the gw bridge and chant satan's name and maybe the car will work welcome
0: to the radio home of ron and Anian, the car doctor since 1991 this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone
4: and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855 560 9900. And now, here's Ronnie. You know, I've got another story for you today, and um it, it, it sort of talks about, well, it's. It's probably the result of, of the quarantine and the pandemic and everything we're all going through right now. And, you know, it's funny. You drive around, if you get out of the house and you go driving, and you can drive, it's, it's sort of very pleasurable to drive, especially in New Jersey. It seems that um, as the roads are empty, so are empty of the um, uh, people that don't know how to use directionals, stop signs, and, you know, you get it. So... Keith was in this week. You you probably don't know Keith, but Keith is that, you know, every man, every guy uh, type of person, a real a real nice guy, just knows everybody, you know, has has got a thousand and one stories. And he stopped in this week and we we talked from afar. I had him, you know, on the other side of the fence uh, with the sirens and the whistles going off while we were trying to converse about 12 feet apart. And he was there because he had dropped off his 2004 GMC workhorse, Chevy workhorse. I call it a Chevy. GMC, same thing, workhorse chassis, one of those like big aluminum body bread truck type things. And we were we were doing some work on it for a mass airflow sensor fault. And we were just, you know, yakking because there's time now. And, you know, it's sort of like time to get to know your neighbor and time to get to know your customer a little bit better type of environment and type of world that we're living in and You know, it is kind of like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And Keith told me the story of a friend of his, uh, Fred, who was up on the Canadian intercoastal highway a few years back in a Stanley steamer, like an 1899 or a 1902 Stanley steamer, something from the turn of the last century and he proceeded to tell me the story of how fred got a speeding ticket. Now fred's in his mid 80s. Okay? Fred's Fred's uh, he's getting up there I guess and as as Keith would put it. And he told me the story about how fred got a speeding ticket on the Canadian Intercoastal Highway that runs across the top of Canada there for doing 63 miles an hour in a in a Stanley steamer which is okay, but the section of road he was in... Well, there's there's two problems. First of all, the speed limit on the section of road he was in was 55. And the second is a Stanley steamer couldn't go faster than 46 miles an hour. Fred had modified it some. And, you know, the in a demonstration to show me, you know, to show his ingenuity, and, and Keith thought this was hilarious, and somehow this subject came up, you know, how you're sort of standing around just yakking it up. He said, he told the police officer, he said, he said he could tell that the police officer was waiting for him to try and talk him out of it. But the cop was so, um, a, a gag was the word Keith used. And I guess he was surprised to see this 85 year old guy with goggles and a little beatnik cap on, um, driving a Stanley steamer at 63 miles an hour. It just had to be quite a sight. And Fred leaned over to him and he said, now listen, you make sure you write that miles per hour legible on the ticket. Cause I'm going to show that to my friends. They're not going to believe me. Um, you know, what do you do with that? And the cop did. He wrote him a ticket for 63 miles an hour. Fred gladly paid the fine. And um, it's sort of, you know, it's Fred lore, as Keith would say. He, uh, You know, it, it's down in his, you know, it'll, it'll be something they talk about for years to come. Now, I told you that story to tell you this one. Fred also has a collection of brass cars, Stanley Steamer, brass cars, and wood body cars. He's got an 1897... I thought Keith said it wasn't an Aurora. I'm not sure on the name now, but it was something from two centuries ago. And they took the car to Bermuda, and you know it's funny how things right come home to roost, and how you're. It it seems like you just get to know everybody in the car business. And Keith was telling me about this wooden-bodied car that Fred had that it went to Bermuda to be in a competition because Fred competes with these older cars. Um, there's a hill climb, I think, Keith. That's another story. Keith taught me so many. There's a hill climb up in Massachusetts, I think it is, um, a Dead Horse Hill, I think they called it, because in the old days, when Tom Ray, my producer, was a kid, the um, if, if, if the horse and wagon tried to pull that hill, if the horses weren't strong enough or healthy enough, it would kill them. It was, so hence the name Dead Horse Hill. So they would have contests to see, you know, when when the horseless carriage came out at the turn of the previous century, they would have contests to see if the car could get up the top of the hill. It was, so Fred's got a couple of champion Dead Horse Hill cars. That's another story. So anyway, they take this car to Bermuda. I'm off the subject here. They take this car to Bermuda, this wooden bodied car. And during the course of the competition, it develops a fuel leak. Now, you know, these aren't cars the way we think of them as cars, these are cars that, you know, they're, they're, they're crude by today's standards in a sense, but they're very mechanical as they were because that was the basis of the foundation of the industry at, at, at that time, 120-some-odd years ago. So the problem was the copper fuel line that was over the top of the hot engine, can you see this coming, developed a crack, and it started to drip gasoline out of the fuel line. It was just a gravity-fed fuel system. No, it wasn't fuel-injected. There was no computer. Hook up an OBD-2 scan tool to that car, see what happens. Go find the port. Well, as Keith told it, he said, it wasn't a matter of time before the gas ignited and the car caught fire. Now, imagine you're in Bermuda in a competition and you're wooden-bodied, you know, $500,000 rare 1897 whatever catches fire you, you you get the fire put out and the fire kept flaring up and they couldn't figure out why until they realized it got so hot it melted the solder out of the connections for the copper line to the tank so that now it just kept dripping they, they'd get the fire to go out and then some more fuel would drip out and then the fire would flare up again and in in eventual in eventuality they lost the car the car just burned to the ground now you, you know th- this is the part that just kind of got me and i you know was fred okay and you know yeah fred was fine um you know fred actually wasn't driving it a friend of his was driving it and th- the friend said b- said you know he felt bad and um you know chief fred I, I burned up your wooden body 1897 1896 whatever this was car this classic and Fred says, "And this is what Keith, this is Keith talking now." Fred said he, he he explained to his friend, "Listen, it doesn't matter. You ready for this?" He goes, "I've got Grundy Insurance." And uh, you know what? I, turned, I looked at Keith and I said, "Excuse me." And he went, "Yeah, I've got Grundy Insurance." And I said, "Grundy, the Grundy car insurance, classic car insurance. His why? You know him?" I said, "Sure. He sponsors the radio show. I talk to him all the time. We talk about classic car insurance and..." Um, you know different types of coverage and 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 so on and so forth and it's just amazing to me how small a world the automobile industry the automobile business collecting classic cars everybody seems to be tied into everybody else Um, and and by the way I I should point this out Um, Keith told me he said it was Close to a million dollar loss by the time they had the car value, or the car was appraised for a million dollars, and I might have the I might have my numbers a little wrong, but the point was, he said Grundy covered every bit of it, and um, they they did so. You know, um, they were happy to do it. He said Fred Fred had nothing but nice to say, and um, he said he you know as a matter of fact he's got his entire fleet of classic cars insured by Grundy, and I said well I, I sort of know Fred, I see him at the coffee shop. I said knowing Fred. Um, that says a lot if, if, if Fred's content with them. So uh, just, you know, there you go. Proof positive, right? Um, you just never know where, you know, it's going to come home to roost if you take the time to sit and talk to somebody, uh, you know, just exactly what will happen and, um, uh, you know, how you can uh, um, come full circle, get to know your neighbor, get to know your customer. By the way, and, and the reason Keith knew so much about it, are you ready for this? Keith and Fred became friends on the basis that Keith is a cabinet maker. What are cabinets made out of? Wood. What did Keith, What did Fred Need made? A custom wooden dashboard and body parts. Guess who made them? Keith. After, uh, I believe it's Jim Grundy, It paid the check to insure it, to repair it, to put it back together. How's that for how things go full circle, right? It's, uh, it's who you know and who you bump into that become lifelong friends. That's what cars are about. And that's a story you can take to the bank. 855 560 9900. Ron and the car doctor, coming back to Hello. answer your questions Hi right there. after this. Hey, we're not going anywhere yes, yet. Yes, sir. We're not going anywhere. Where are we yet. going? Well, no, because, now what?
6: Well, because we have a special announcement to make, and here it is.
0: Hello. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary.
6: Happy anniversary yeah. to you, Thank and you, so. sir.
4: Yeah, thank you, Tom. Yeah, thirty-nine years. Imagine that she's put up with me for thirty-nine years. Yeah, um, and, you, and you know what? We're about to nominate her for sainthood. Well, I think I think we're past that, um, you know. But yeah, thirty-nine years. Thank you, Tom. I uh, I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate that. Can we uh, can we go to break now? Of course. Okay. Good. Okay. Thank you, sir. I'm Ron and the car doctor. We'll be back right after this.
3: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Don't call us. We'll call.
0: That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. And by the way, I, I should
4: mention, I, I failed to mention it before we left at that last segment, uh, that if you're looking for more information about Grundy Insurance, it's grundyinsurance.com. Jim Grundy, if you by chance ever get to talk to him, is such a car guy. If you've got a, a classic, but you don't have to be a classic to insure it. Um, there's, there's, there's all kinds of different levels and categories of vehicles that they do, but Jim is just such a car guy to sit and talk to him. He's got stories. He makes Keith look like he's not talking and he's got, he's probably got stories about Fred. I should probably talk to him about Fred at some point, but, um, they don't, they're just, they're, they, Fred and Jim, from what I understand, have grown to become very good friends. And, um, uh, just, just, just a heck of a car guy, Grundy insurance, uh, Grundy.com. I believe is the website. Let's go over and talk to Joe in Virginia. Joe, 64 Mustang. Yes, Joe, how can I help?
6: Hey, Ron. Um, really love your show. Uh, me and my dad, we've listened to you for many, many years. Um, Thank you. But um, I got a 64, it's a sixty four and a half uh, Mustang with a 260 V8 in it. Right. And I was reading through the owner's manual, and I saw that it said that Ford recommended uh, back in the day 92 octane leaded fuel. And I know leaded fuel is not... A thing anymore, right? Um, but what would you recommend? This car gets driven probably about once or twice a month, it might get maybe three or four thousand miles a year on it. Um, what kind of octane fuel would you recommend? And would you like recommend that I use non ethanol fuel, or do you think ethanol fuel would be fine in it?
4: If you can get non ethanol, I think you're better off just simply because of the damage that ethanol can do on a vehicle that sits a lot. Now, the one thing that you can do to help combat it is go out to, uh, where is it, Berryman Products. Go out to BerrymanProducts.com, and you can start to read some about their fuel stabilizers and fuel system um, cleaners and so on that will help stabilize and help protect against ethanol-based fuels. So, you know, there's there's two options there. As far as octane, just keep in mind, in 1964-65, Fuel was rated different, and we don't really talk about that here. It doesn't generally come up, but I remember it when it happened. I believe it was 72 because I was working in the gas station, and the octane ratings changed. I believe it went from a research octane. It was research octane, and I don't remember what the other uh, definition was, but fuel has changed in the way that they rate it. So, you know, 92 octane today is a lower octane. On that newer chart, if I remember correctly, so just you know keep that in mind. You're not you're not you want to run premium in it for the amount you drive it. Great. You want to run premium non ethanol related fuel in it. Yeah, I get it. But you know you're not going to find a 92. I think the best. Well, actually, you're going to find something better. I think Sunoco. Um, I'll run Sunoco in the hot rod. at well, it was three dollars a gallon the last time I looked. I don't really look when I fill up. I just give the guy fifty bucks and say here. But, um, <laughs> right. you, know, I, you know, it's as my late father-in-law once said, hot rods are, are, are just better than a case of beer on a Saturday night and go cruising around. Um, there you, you know, go. It's, it's a, just, just go and have some fun uh, with the hot rod, not with yeah. the case of beer on the hot rod. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as the leaded goes, and I think part of that is that you're going to see a difference. You know, like, I, I think that car is going to react differently to different fuels, different brands. And you're, you're going to see that and feel that. That being said, you know, the real question is, do you run a lead additive or not? And that question I get a lot. And, you know, a very dear friend of mine, Jeff, all right, uh, an engine builder for 35 years. And every every time this question comes up and I try to broach the conversation with me, he, he brings up the point, he says, listen, for all the engines I've built and for all the engines I've, I've seen run and take apart, he said, you know, e- even on unleaded fuel without lead, I've yet to see an unleaded fuel cause damage to a valve seat by itself, especially on a vehicle that drives such short term. Uh, you know, okay. that, that, that's from the guy doing the open heart surgery. All right, that's from the right. guy that's you know, and I I wouldn't want to guess how many engines over his career, Jeff has done, uh, you know. Right. He's a, he's a he's a sort of a savant for this stuff. You can, he, he's terrible to take the car shows. He'll walk past, you know, and goes, oh, that's got the wrong valve cover on it. How do you know? <laughs> well, because. That's a that's a, I don't know, 57 Corvette. It's supposed to have a nine-fin valve cover, but it's only got a seven because you can't find the nine-fin valve cover because it's such a rare option. They only made it for 62 weeks, you know, or, or, or six and a half weeks in the month of January. You know, it's just, it's... So right. arguing with Jeff is just, you might as well talk to the wall. So <laughs> that being said, um, you, you want to be fussy? You want to put a lead additive in it? Go ahead. I don't think it's going to matter. Uh, I would okay. run, I would... I, I would run a good grade of fuel. I'm sorry, a good grade of oil. I would run a zinc-based oil for it. And they do make, fortunately, there are a lot of manufacturers out there now making oil that is classic car rated, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, okay. you know, with zinc in it, it's, you know, again, it's not cheap, but this hobby's not cheap because it's a hobby now. Get out to right. um, driven racing oil. I can't remember the website, but if you Google search driven racing oil and I, um, what's the guy's name? Speed something, speed, I can't, but we, we've had him here on the show. Um, I actually run their uh, 530 zinc-based uh, HR2, I think it is, HR2 or HR1 in the hot rod, and it works It works really well. I'm happy with it. That I get. That, you know, oil to me is a little bit more critical than fuel. Fuel is going to be a, what does it run best in? Type of a scenario, right. uh, but yeah, if you can find if you can find non ethanol, do so. Listen, it's funny you bring up fuel. Tom was telling me a story. Uh, he spoke to someone this week, and they were talking about Sunoco fuel they found at the pump, and it was almost fourteen dollars a gallon. And uh, he sent me a link for it, and we found a uh, you can buy it online. You can go to SunocoRacingFuel dot com, whatever it is, and you can you can spend. I think it was. Um, uh they sold a fifty five gallon drum of it. It was two hundred and you know, you can start a gas station right there in the garage, pumps and all. Um <laughs> uh you know, but I, I don't think you need to. I really don't. I, I, I okay. think, you know, choice of oil, uh quality fuel. And I, I think you'll be just fine, Joe. Um, I really do. So enjoy it. Get it out and drive it. And uh, the best, best way to self-quarantine is be six feet apart from the car in front of you and behind you. And just have a good time. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. You uh, you uh, take good care down there, Virginia Way. I'm Ron Anady The Car Doctor. We're back right after this.
3: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Some 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
4: Hey, welcome back. We're on the car Doctor. That's who it was Lake Speed, the gentleman from uh, Driven Racing Oil. Uh, Lake Speed Jr., I believe, to, to be correct. And, boy, there there's a guy who knows his motor oils. He's, um, I remember having him on the show. He can just walk you through it. If you happen to be lucky enough to get him on the phone, just uh, make sure you have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea because you're going to be there a while. Um, only ask one question. Uh, you'll be there for a half hour. So uh, real good guy, real knowledgeable, too. Let's get over to David in Iowa, 01 Oldsmobile, and some questions. David, welcome back, sir. How are you today?
2: Oh, wow. Ron? Yes, sir. On uh the phone's kind of weak here. Uh we're out here in Iowa. Yeah. And uh I was wondering, uh uh I took this, the car a uh what was it, Renee, your car? Uh, it's a two oh one GMC, two thousand one GMC Oldsmobile, o- o- okay. Yeah. Uh silhouette. And they wanted to charge her hundred and twenty dollars for a little switch in the door. Okay. It went up and down. Right is that realistic
4: how much was the part a uh, hundred bucks okay probably <laughs> david think about this how old's that car
2: how old is It's a 2001 one i think it's
4: 19 years old
2: yeah it's old i'd be thrilled like at, i am I, I, my I, wife told me to get some wd-40 from my back
4: well i'd listen brother I, i'd be thrilled that they still had the part for a 19 year old car
2: well, I wonder where he's going to
4: get it. Well, that's just it, and it's been sitting on a shelf in inventory waiting for you to ha- have that one car that's going to break. And, you know, not not to mention Oldsmobile is an obsolete car company. They've been gone 14 years, 13 years. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're how talking a salvage about, yard. Listen, well, they, maybe they're getting it out of a salvage yard, but are, are you going to find one in a salvage yard? Do you know where there's an old silhouette? I don't know. How about hot wiring it? Well, yeah, sure, go ahead. David, how much effort? Listen. I, I get it. Times are tough, but how much effort are you going to put into finding? It's not a thousand dollar switch. It's a hundred dollar switch. Yeah,
2: it's, well, if he finds one, I'll be surprised. You know. Well, so, is he is he telling if they you even make
4: them? Well, wait a minute now. Is he telling you a hundred dollars for a used one or a hundred dollars for a new one? Yeah. He
2: just said hundred dollars. Well, yeah, he just said a hundred dollars. Okay, so, so I don't know whether it's new or old or used or so not like I am,
4: the story changes. You have to go do your homework. You've got to do a little more research. Yeah. You, got to, you got to ask them. Listen, how much is the switch? How much is the labor? It's easily a half hour yeah. of time to take a door panel apart. Easily. That's on a bad. Yeah. Day. That's yeah. on a good day. All right. It's yeah. it's a half hour to take a door panel apart and swap a switch. So what are we talking now? Yeah, what I'm probably
2: are, still living in 1960. I guess. Uh, I think
4: you're past. I think yeah, you're probably right around there. And that doesn't that doesn't work, David. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Well, listen, Brian, listen. You know what? You're not calling because I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. You know what?
2: Well, yeah, I want to just hear your voice. Make sure you're still alive up there. Yeah, I'm still
4: alive up here. What else would go wrong?
2: Well, you guys uh, take care, and you stay out of the way of the virus.
4: You know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 they
2: actually they actually admitted on the radio that uh, faith uh, in some kind of a god or you know uh, helps it sends signals to the brain, and the brain starts to uh, take care of the body. So.
4: I believe Scientific,
2: that. Scientific, folks.
4: I believe that. David, you take good care. That's out. That's why Iowa. I pray for everybody. Thank I you, sir. I pray for the whole United States because I have to live here. Well, thank you, David. We're, we're glad to have you. You take good care and be safe out there. Let's go over to, uh, let's go over to Jim in Maine, 12 Kia Sorrento. Hey, Jim, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you for taking
6: my call. You're yeah, as you said, I have a 2012 Kia Sorento LX all-wheel drive. It's a six-cylinder motor. About the last year, I've been having some issues constantly, consistently with the charging system. It seems like every couple of days, this battery's dead, okay. needs to jump. And we've replaced the battery, and recently have replaced the alternator and have had it tested afterwards. It seems to be putting out what it needs to, but something is continuously drawing this battery, and we just can't figure it out.
4: Okay, so so who's we? You you yourself, or you and a mechanic, or you know who's doing this?
6: Well. Me and a friend of mine who works on vehicles. Cars.
4: Okay, so m- let me just hold your feet to the fire for a second, and I'll be gentle. Sure. But before you change the alternator, did you test it? Was it was it charging? Um, it was charging,
6: but didn't seem
4: as if it was giving enough of a charge. It was down.
6: The alternator was putting out about twelve point four volts.
4: Okay, and what's the new alternator? And putting, what's the new alternator putting out?
6: About It fluctuates between 13.3 and 13.5.
4: Right. And that's, you know, it should typically be a volt higher, uh, at least, at a minimum. So it sounds like you legitimately had a bad alternator. All right? Okay. So that's number one. The other thing I always like to look at, if you've got a way to measure it, is what's the current output of that alternator? Because we all know that just because you replaced it, what does new stand for? Do you know what new stands for, Jim?
6: I don't, but I think I'm going to find out. Yeah
4: new never ever worked all right yeah so you know you know they're not used parts they're field tested so sometimes used parts are better than new parts it depends but the Mm -hmm. point the point becomes we want to do a voltage test and we want to see what sort of amperage or current output we can get out of that alternator and we also like like to see we'd also like to do a voltage test and a current test under load now you know you can you can use a very high piece of high tech piece of equipment, um, a carbon pile machine, or, or there's other methods for testing uh, batteries and charging systems. Um, if you want to read about it, just get out to I believe it's AssociatedEquipment.com, and you can uh, read about it. or Just Google search Associated Equipment. Uh, they're the makers of probably the best charging system and battery test equipment in the country, uh, probably close to the world in my opinion, but. Um, You know, you want to read about testing procedures, that'll tell you. So, you know, the other thing to be aware of here is once you've established, yes, now it's charging, and you believe that battery is good, you put a new battery in it, you load test that new battery, the battery passes a load test. That's a question. Mm Mm-hmm. The,
6: okay. That's that. now having to jump this vehicle consistently every two to three days, is there any other problem sure. that I probably created for myself?
4: Right, sure. You ever leave you ever leave the porch light on and not know it?
6: hmm
4: And you know, if you've got a porch light on, so if you've got an electrical drain somewhere in this car and you don't you can't see it with the eye, you're gonna have to measure for it. So okay. do you have a digital volt meter?
6: I know the friend of mine that's working on
4: the vehicle with me does, yeah. Okay, so now we've got to do a current draw test. He should know how to do this, but just as a refresher, we want to set the meter up in in milliamps, all right? We want to look at milli milli, or an amperage draw based on milliamps on the milliamp scale, all right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Disconnect, uh, we'll disconnect the negative battery cable. Um, Sometimes I cheat and whatever's easier to get apart, but, um, you know, we'll disconnect the negative battery cable, hook our leads up and look and see what sort of an amperage draw we got. Now it's going to start out high, um, and just as a suggestion, you want to make sure that you've got the keys out of the ignition. Um, I prefer to take keys away from the car nowadays because there are certain cars that have keep-alive memory that will just create a draw. So take the keys Uh and move them 10 feet away from the vehicle, and then close the hood, uh, make sure the door is closed, open the driver's window so you can you know, a- access anything you might want to access. And at that point, look at milliampere draw. You've got to have less oh. than 50 milliamps to be considered a pass. The average car is going to be less than 50. The average car will go down. I, You know, it, it's got to be under 50, but I'd like to see, you know, 15 to 20. But it all depends on the car and how much, how, how many or how much, how much electronics, for lack of a better way to say it, are on that vehicle. But it doesn't happen right away. Oh. It could take anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours for that vehicle to go to sleep. Okay. All right? Now, here's the kicker. That vehicle could wake up at random. It could have an intermittent module draw that causes that vehicle to wake up, put a draw on the battery. But before we go there and talk about some of the tricks for finding that, let's just do an amperage draw test, see what kind of numbers you get, and call me back next week. Okay. All right? good. And we'll go from there. All right, Jim? Thank you very much. You're very welcome, sir. Good luck. Stay safe. Run an in the car, doctor. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie, The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900, 855-560-9900. Up next on The Car Doctor Hotline, let's go over and talk to Linda in Florida, 17 Subaru. Whoop-dee-doo in my Subaru. Linda, welcome aboard. How
8: can I help? Uh, thank you so much, Ron. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Um, we had um, two occurrences. On March 7th, the car was warm. It had gone about a mile down the road to the store, and all the icons went off on the dashboard, And it's got 42,000 miles on it only. And the emergency brake, the ABS, the collision avoidance, lane departure, anti-skid, all became disabled. And um, we brought it to the Subaru dealer here in Sarasota, Florida, immediately where we purchased it. And they uh, tried to do what they could, but all they could do was um, reset the computer and send us on our way. And then on April 25th, the same thing happened, and now it's been there for seven days, and they said they cannot replicate the occurrence, and therefore they cannot diagnose anything. Right. So they still have the car, and we don't know
4: what to think. um, and, and And I do not say this coldly, but welcome to the world of new automobiles. Um, you know, the electronics, this is, what, this is what's going to drive the technician and the consumer crazy going forward for the next 20 years. So my questions would be, if we were standing at the counter, has this car ever been in an accident? No. Okay, no collision work of any kind, no, any aftermarket accessories?
8: No. Nope. Okay.
4: Nope. Um, always important, um, same radio, original radio that came with the car? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, the the issue is, and if I were to venture to guess from the description of modules, I would pay very close attention to the brake system. Everything you described there, ABS, lane departure, um, collision avoidance, uh, um, emergency brake light you said was on?
8: Correct. Right. Uh,
4: To me, all centers around the brake system. Any one of the brake sensors could replicate it. I'd be curious if I unplugged a wheel speed sensor for the anti-lock brakes. Could I duplicate the condition at least to see, do the same lights come on? Does the vehicle exhibit the same symptoms? And then at least I have something to look at. Part of the problem in diagnosing, it's, 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 mm-hmm. it's, it's, like, it's like trying to fix coronavirus. All right. We have no we have no mm-hmm. previous knowledge until we can duplicate it and see the effects of trying this or trying that. Because some of auto repair is trial and error, uh, just like fixing the virus, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better way to say it, mm-hmm. this time and age. Right. But, you know, they have they have deep resources. Have they you mm-hmm. know, have they talked to Subaru tech support? You can't be the only person. I mean, unless it's lucky you. Um, you can't be the only person in the continental United States, Linda, that's got this particular car that's got this particular problem. They've got to have seen this somewhere in the data bank. Mm. all right? It's, it's, mm. it's one of the reasons why mechanics use a database, at least in my opinion the better ones, that are going to do the research because fixing cars today is research. It's not just, yeah, we know what it is. It's going to be this or that. Here's a car where you've got a condition. You can't replicate it. You can't duplicate it. You can't find anything wrong. I could sit here and say, "Hey, did they try twisting the wiring harness around? Did they go around and double check connections and make sure all the harnesses are seated properly?" And and those aren't bad things to do. All right? Uh-huh. This is this is this is no different. Have you ever had a and this is a this maybe this is a poor example, but have you ever had a light fixture in in your house act up where it, it doesn't always come on or it flickers sometimes or or m- uh-huh. maybe you've got a bad phone, a bad connection, or you've got static on the line, and they'll come out and they'll. What do they do? They 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 check all the connections. They look at the harness. They visual everything. Is everything plugged in? Is everything seated? Before we even go to component level, because component level, you've got so many components in those four or five systems that you're describing to me. You would you mm-hmm. would randomly you would intermittently randomly replace half the car can't do that Mm
8: -hmm.
4: right Mm -hmm. so your your questions to them are ask the guy listen this sounds like doesn't it sound like one system could be triggering all these lights because that's what i think is going on here um uh, you know and ask them if we unplug one of the wheel speed sensors could we see what would happen Uh how would the car react to that it's it's no different than okay. it's it's no different than a doctor you going to a doctor and saying doc my elbow hurts my 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 knee hurts my back hurts my hip hurts every time i touch them it hurts all right he's looking for the mm. common thread and in, uh-huh. in, in that case, your finger is probably broken. That's why he's, you know you're touching yourself. Your fingertip is busted. Um, so we're looking for the common thread. We're looking we're looking for the broken fingertip. Uh-huh. If you unplug a wheel speed sensor, does it turn on and duplicate those lights? Okay. If it doesn't, let's create a failure in one of those systems and go through each one of those systems that the lights come on for. How does that uh-huh. How does that cause the vehicle to react? At least it gives you some hierarchy of failure, some probability of failure. All right. I gotta go. I'm up against mm-hmm. the clock, but try those things. Let me know how it works out. I'm here. I'm here to offer you anything I can. I'm glad to talk to you anytime. All right, Linda. You take good care. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Indian Car Doctor. Uh, by the way, I should finish out the hour talking about this. So at the top of the hour, if you go back, if you're podcasting or if you want to, you can podcast, um, get out to uh, get out to the podcast site, go out to our cardoctorshow.com, click on go to the podcast, um, what I was talking about. So Keith brought in his motorhome. I didn't tell you the rest of that story. Keith brought in his motorhome, and um, or his workhorse, his 2004 GMC workhorse chassis, and I was diagnosing a mass airflow sensor fault code. And it turns out it was a performance fault, a P0101. And it turns out, you know, I'm looking at it, and we're going through some basic evaluation. And I could see where the oil, the oil fill cap is right in front of me. And the air intake duct hose goes down to the left and comes forward about six inches for the mass airflow sensor to pick it up. And I could see the stain of oil running down the duct. And what happened was somebody had been adding oil over time. The oil was on the duct. The oil got down to the sensor. It creeped its way into the sensor and ruined the mass airflow sensor. Be careful with that motor oil, folks. I'm Ron in The Car Doctor, reminding you, Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya.